Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Friday, October 9th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. What kind of operating system do they use in space? The science behind cocktails to up your at-home mixology game? The 22-year-old responsible for the most viral beats on TikTok? And the Connecticut mayor who isn't taking any of John Oliver's crap? Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Have you ever thought about what operating system is used on spacecrafts? I'll admit I hadn't really thought of it before. But what I really hadn't thought of before was just how precise those operating systems have to be. I mean, you know, obviously they have to be precise. It is space. There's a million things that could go wrong. One tiny error can mean that the multi-million dollar craft that hundreds of people have spent years working on gets burnt to a crisp. Or, in the case of crewed missions, it's the literal difference between life and death. So, yes, precision and top-of-the-line systems are key. And a recent article in Ars Technica detailed just how precise the operating systems are, especially when it comes to speed. So first, let's think about the processing speed of the devices we use most often, smartphones. Ars Technica recounts a speed test done between the iPhone XS Max and Samsung S10 Plus by the YouTube channel Everything Apple Pro, quoting Ars Technica, Before the test, both phones are restarted, and the cache is cleared in them. Samsung opens all the apps in 2 minutes 30 seconds, and the iPhone clocks in at 2 minutes 54 seconds. In the second round, all the apps are closed and opened again without restarting or clearing the RAM. Because the apps are still in RAM, Samsung finishes the opening in 46 seconds, and the iPhone does it in 42 seconds. That's a whopping 2-minute time difference between the first try and the second. But if the phones had to run the kind of real-time operating systems used for spaceflight, opening those apps would take exactly the same amount of time no matter how many times you tried it, down to the millisecond, end quote. And engineers working on space-grade operating systems have to know exactly how long every single task takes and what exact effect things like clearing the RAM will have on the time it takes to complete tasks. And for an example on why that detailed timing is so crucial, let's look at the European Space Agency's recently launched Solar Orbiter. Quoting again, During its mission, Solar Orbiter will get 10 million kilometers closer to the Sun than Mercury. And mind you, Mercury is close enough to have sustained temperatures reaching 450 degrees Celsius on its Sun-facing surface. To withstand such temperatures, Solar Orbiter is going to rely on an intricately designed heat shield. This heat shield, however, will protect the spacecraft only when it's pointed directly at the sun. There's no sufficient protection on the sides or in the back of the probe. So, accordingly, ESA developed a real-time operating system, or RTOS, for Solar Orbiter that can act under very strict requirements. 
The maximum allowed off-pointing from the sun is only 6.5 degrees. Any off-pointing exceeding 2.3 degrees is acceptable only for a very brief period of time. When something goes wrong and dangerous off-pointing is detected, Solar Orbiter is going to have only 50 seconds to react. We've got extremely demanding requirements for this mission, says Maria Hernick, head of Flight Software Systems section at ESA. Typically, rebooting the platform such as this takes roughly 40 seconds. Here, we've had 50 seconds total to find the issue, have it isolated, have the system operational again, and take recovery action. So to reiterate, this operating system, located far away in space, needs to remotely reboot and recover in 50 seconds, otherwise the solar orbiter is getting fried. End quote. So what operating system is used by NASA and ESA? Well, originally it was a custom build for each mission, with just a little bit of rollover of code in between each one. But in the late 80s, a company called Wind River built a real-time operating system called VXWorks, which quickly became the favorite of NASA's. VXWorks has a bunch of sort of safeguards built in, like its proprietary semaphore system that makes sure tasks are interlocked or synchronized. And there's a similar operating system called RTEMS that's in use by the European Space Agency. That one was actually originally developed for U.S. missiles. They're incredibly similar, and sometimes the ESA has used VXWorks, and NASA has used RTEMS. And a few years ago, another operating system hit the scene, Space Chain OS. Bitcoin core developer Jif Garzik's idea to build Bitcoin resiliency in space has been making headway by taking advantage of the nano-satellite revolution happening. Quoting again, Garzik envisioned putting a ring of microsatellites on Earth's orbit, and those satellites could be connected via an intersatellite link that would store and broadcast the blockchain data. End quote. To date, Space Chain has placed multiple nodes in space, one of them thanks to SpaceX, and the ESA has even invested in it. But a lot of engineers are more skeptical that it will ever become the next standard OS at any point. They want to see it offer something that Artems doesn't in terms of functionality, and they emphasize how long it takes for new software to go through the testing and certification required. Plus, VXWorks and Artems have already been working on taking steps to head in some of the more innovative directions of Space Chain. And if you want to hear more about some of those steps and just generally go way more in-depth on each of the three operating systems, I recommend reading the quite long but very interesting Ars Technica article, link in the show notes. Even with a lot of bars doing to-go service in some towns, you probably aren't buying drinks as often as you used to. Maybe you've been making them at home more, or you've given up on complicated cocktails because you can never make them as well as your favorite bar. Either way, I've got some tips for upping your at-home cocktail game. And if you don't drink, many of these are still relevant for zero-proof drinks and just delicious libations in general. Also, in case you missed it, Kaki.org recently had a quick link book recommendation for anyone who doesn't drink always or some of the time, but still wants to enjoy a fancy beverage. The book is called Good Drinks, Alcohol-Free Recipes for When You're Not Drinking for Whatever Reason by Julia Bainbridge. Link in the show notes if you want to check it out. Like many types of cooking, Discover Magazine points out that making cocktails is a science. It's chemistry, and the more you remember that and engage with that idea, the better you'll do. Discover talked to Kevin Liu, 
the owner of The Jasper, which was named one of the best new bars in the South. He's also the author of Craft Cocktails at Home, Offbeat Techniques, Contemporary Crowd Pleasers, and Classics Hacked with Science. Leo says one rookie mistake is focusing on ice in the wrong ways. If you want to add ice or if a recipe calls for it, don't get bogged down by trends like those big squares or spheres that are supposed to not dilute your drink as quickly that are really popular right now. Leo says, honestly, if your goal is to cool your drink without diluting it, you should just put the whole drink in the freezer itself. But if you are going for ice, you need to pay attention to your water quality. Does the ice actually taste good? Was it made with filtered water? Extra flavors coming from the ice is more of a concern than the ice diluting the drink as it melts. And if you want to test it, you can literally just melt one of your ice cubes in a cup and drink it to determine if it's high quality enough to be used in your fine cocktails. But seriously, dilution isn't all bad. Ice can do a lot of work to change the overall composition of a cocktail for the better. Quoting Discover, The booze we drink is made with ethanol, the same kind of stuff we put in our gas tanks, and it has a significantly lower freezing point than water. The ice in your freezer is also typically much colder than freezing temperature. That means that you can stir in ice and bring drinks down to below 32 degrees Fahrenheit without creating a slushy. As you supercool your beverage, less alcohol will evaporate from it, making it smell and taste less boozy. In fact, the colder something is, the less you perceive the taste in general. For example, your martini is mostly booze, but because it's typically served at more than a dozen degrees below freezing, it doesn't taste like sipping a bottle of room-temperature vodka. Shaking ice into a drink instead of stirring it also adds air bubbles, which changes the mouthfeel, while also dramatically lowering the temperature. If you're dealing with a subtle alcohol flavor like gin, you could lose many of the drink's pleasing notes. Meanwhile, all that shaking will also melt more of the ice, diluting the drink more than the stirring would. But dilution isn't always a bad thing. Too little dilution, and you'll lose the aromas amid the strength of the booze. Too much, and you'll have a weak drink. In both cases, how you use your ice makes all the difference. Mastering this balance between temperature and dilution is key to creating bar-level home cocktails. End quote. But ice isn't the only thing to pay attention to. Another key component of cocktails, juice. Leo says, fresh juices like lime and lemon juice squeezed fresh from the fruit themselves are vital because as citrus juice ages, it oxidizes and loses flavor. So opt for the real thing whenever you can, as opposed to those little plastic bottles you can get at the supermarket. And as for carbonation in cocktails, it's not just to cut the power of the liquor. It can change the acidity and aroma of the cocktail as well. Quoting again, Carbonated water is simply H2O that's been force pressurized so carbon dioxide dissolves into it. When you mix a carbonated beverage into your drink, that pressure is released, and the carbon dioxide starts coming out of solution. Tonic water, or cola, for example, can add a bit of a bite which is why they balance well against certain kinds of alcohol like rum or gin. But as the carbonated beverage releases its air bubbles, they also create a pleasing tingle on the tongue. And when those same bubbles erupt at the top of your glass, they release the aromas from your beverage into the air, pushing them up toward your nose. There, they can actually alter how a drink tastes as the olfactory receptors in the nose work together with your taste buds. End quote. And like the difference that higher quality water has on ice, different brands and types of carbonated water will have totally different but subtle impacts on your cocktails. Experiment around. And finally, Leo also recommends a certain order for mixing cocktails. 
the cheapest ingredients first, but ice always last. That way, if you mess up and have to start over again, you haven't wasted your most expensive ingredients, and the ice goes in last so it has less time to dilute the drink. So there you have it, a few science-backed tips to try out at your home bar this weekend. Going viral on TikTok is one thing, but making the music that helps other people go viral is quite another. The Verge recently interviewed Ricky Desktop, a 22-year-old responsible for several of the most viral tracks currently being used on TikTok. More than 20 million TikToks have used his beats, some of those going viral themselves with tens of millions of views, and off the back of that, he now gets 1.5 million monthly listeners on Spotify. On TikTok, most creators use background music that's available in the app to perform with, either by dancing, miming, or some other creative use. And this comes from TikTok's roots as the Musical.ly app, which was essentially a short-form lip-sync app. There are some popular songs hosted on there, as well as a lot of covers, and music made by independent artists. It's actually how Lil Nas X got his start, by posting Old Town Road on TikTok and it going viral there before anywhere else, as it got remixed and remixed over and over again until it made it to the top of the Billboard charts. Ricky Desktop isn't looking for his Old Town Road moment, however, but he did approach TikTok with a mission. After graduating from college last year, Desktop, a multi-instrumentalist since his early teen years, was originally trying to make it with short raps about tech platforms like Venmo and LinkedIn. Then he heard some advice from Gary Vee to musicians saying that if they're not on TikTok, they're doing something wrong. And like many men aspiring to make it big in the creative tech world, Desktop heeded Gary Vee's advice and started creating beats specifically engineered to go viral. Here's how he described his strategy to The Verge. Quote, You need concrete, sonic elements that dancers can visually engage with on a person-by-person -person basis. I know that sounds super scientific, but that's how I think about it. If you're trying to make a viral beat, it's gotta correspond with the viral dance. In order to lock in on that, you need elements of the music to hit. So, for example, I have this beat called The Dice Beat. I add a flute sound, which in my head I was like, okay, people will pretend to play the flute. And then there's this dice sound where they'll roll the dice. It was super calculated. I would create the music with the dance in mind. End quote. And if you've spent any time on the app or seen TikToks reposted somewhere, you've probably heard his beats without realizing it. I had never heard any of them by name. The Shark Boy beat, the Chicken Wing beat, the Dice beat... But as soon as I played a few TikToks that used those beats, I realized I had been hearing a few of his trademarks everywhere. He says two of those trademarks he pioneered are the Triple Woe and the Water Drop. The Triple Woe is a triple version of a popular dance move called the Woe, where TikTokers sort of wave their arm as the beat drops. Desktop knew people would be into the opportunity to master the skill of doing it three times and then show that off a well-engineered idea to make his beats more popular. As for the water drop, which sounds before the bass drops, he says, quote, It's almost like ASMR in a way. It's tangible. People can hit the air or hit their cheek, and that's the Ricky desktop thing. A lot of people have been copying me, which I don't care because I was the first one, I think, at least, to make it popular. Even that song WAP, they put the water drop right before the bass drop, which is funny. Not that I need the credit for it, but it was my thing first, at least on TikTok, end quote. 
And then is the sound I realized I had been hearing everywhere. And if he's right, maybe it wasn't all of his beats, but it's definitely something I associate with popular music of the last year or so. Here's what it sounds like in his track, The Boat Beat. And as for the question usually on people's minds with someone who makes it big on a social media platform, does he make any money from this? Desktop says that he gets some money from streaming, some from iTunes, and a bit of royalties from TikTok, which recently introduced a TikTok creators fund to provide a bit of income similar to the YouTube partner program. He's also had people reach out for custom beats and has been taking meetings for potential collaborations, which is what he's really looking to do in the future. TikTok is not the end game for him, nor would I add should any one platform be for any creator. His sights are set on working with platinum level artists, and when he's established enough as a producer with other artists, he wants to shift into his own songs with him as the vocalist. High hopes, but he's certainly dominated the goals he set out for himself thus far, so I'd say remember the name Ricky Desktop. You'll probably be hearing it for a while. One last quick thing for you today. As of last night, a sewage plant in Danbury, Connecticut is officially named after John Oliver. Danbury Mayor Mark Bowden and Oliver have been trading barbs back and forth for a few months ever since Oliver ribbed the town on a Last Week Tonight episode about discrimination in the U.S. jury system. He went on an aside rant about Danbury, which was once voted the second best place to live by USA Today, saying some colorful things about how much he hated the town for no explicable reason, just for a laugh. But then Mayor Bowden posted a response video from the Danbury sewage plant, saying that they were going to rename it the John Oliver Memorial Sewage Plant, because it's full of crap, just like John. They had some stipulations, though. There was some back and forth about Oliver donating some charity money and needing to be present for the naming ceremony, during which time Mayor Bowden said, Don't worry if you can't make it. We'll just name this porta potty the John Oliver Shithouse instead. But yesterday, the Danbury City Council officially voted to rename the sewage plant after Oliver. So it is official now. The John Oliver Memorial Sewage Plant in Danbury, Connecticut has become a reality. That is it for this week. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Cocky.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'm going to go work on perfecting my triple woe. I hope you all have a great weekend, and I will talk to you on Monday.